And I just want to read now one verse uh, from Ephesians chapter 6, page 1163. That's Ephesians chapter 6. Starting at verse 14. Starting and finishing at verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. And I'm actually stopping there. Now, I'm actually giving two talks on that sentence. Uh, first one today and the next one will be, uh, God willing, next week in, uh, in the evening. You might say, how can someone possibly justify speaking, uh, giving two sermons on one phrase in the Bible? Well, of course, the answer is that when a truth is of vital importance, both to non-believers and to believers, it's worth spending a bit of time thinking about it. And uh, I I want us to, to, to note these following things about the belt of truth, and in particular truth. Firstly, there are unknown truths to many people in our society, unknown truths of the gospel. Secondly, there are very unpleasant truths about ourselves which is revealed in the Bible. Thirdly, there are wonderful truths about Jesus Christ that are revealed in the Bible. And fourthly, there are hard truths about living the Christian life, which are found in the Bible. Now, you see, the thing is this. The concept of truth is fundamental to the teaching of Jesus. Um, Jesus spoke about uh, we should be worshippers in spirit and in truth. Uh, That's uh, John chapter 4. He he said that we should um, have the truth, and the truth will make us free. Chapter 8, verse 32. Jesus said about his own destiny was to bear witness to the truth. And of course, uh, in, in, the, in the Gospels, we find Jesus saying 137 times, I say to you, and you know, when, when someone emphasizes something by not just saying it, but then saying, I am saying it to you, they mean that's the truth. One of Jesus' favorite expression, expressions was the use of amen, which we use after a prayer. And Jesus, time after time, said, truly, truly, amen, amen, I say to you. And then comes out with these uh, marvelous truths of salvation. So the thing is this, that when Paul says, put on the belt of truth, he's actually um, itemizing something which reverberates throughout the Bible as of of incredible importance. The truth is fundamental Uh, to actually becoming a Christian in the first place. Now, the sad thing is, and you only have to talk to anybody on the street, uh, conduct a few interviews with people, and so many people have no understanding at all, under the age of 50, no understanding at all about the fundamentals of gospel truth. Most people under the age of 40 have not read the Bible uh, as an adult. And even those who've read it as as a kid only had fragments of, of the Bible. And people have complete kind of contempt for the message of Jesus Christ on the media, on the TV, and so on and so forth. 
I'm reminding of a, a stone, uh, a, a large stone that was under a, uh, a, a little stream uh, in, in, in uh, North Carolina. It was a, you know, it's just a, a shapeless large stone. It was just there for two, over 200 years. People have you know, been walking by this stone and never, never bothered with it. But a poor man decided to use this stone as a doorstop. Um, he had it there in his house for years. But a geologist, uh, for some reason or other, uh, passed by, saw this stone, saw something about it, asked to examine it, took a few samples. It turned out to be a gold nugget, the largest gold nugget found east of the Rockies. In today's money, it was worth half a million dollars, which, of course, pleased the, the poor man. But, you know, that is what our society is like. We have 60 million people in Britain, and most of them have no idea of the priceless value of the gospel. Oh, they will listen to gospel music. Oh, they love that. See people bopping around and singing and swaying to the, to the name of Jesus. But they have no understanding at all of the meaning of the good news. No understanding of the meaning of the songs that they're listening to. Paul says this, that fundamental to life is that we should first of all put on the belt of the gospel. Now, what is he talking about? That's a very strange thing to say. Well, uh, in this passage, as we've been seeing on Sunday evenings, Paul is describing the Christian warfare. And he's primarily talking about believers in their struggle against the forces of darkness, Satan, the spiritual world, temptations, the spiritual battle, persecution, and these things. But in describing the Christian life in the way he does, and he starts off with the belt of truth, which we will look at as I said, in more detail uh, on uh, next Sunday evening. Um, although talking about uh, these, these, uh, these, gospel tr- these, these gospel truths for, for Christians, I want to note that for each of the parts of the spiritual armor that Paul talks about, there's an aspect which is relevant to those people who are inquiring about what it means to be a Christian. Uh, and I'm, I'll talk about that a bit more next week, but uh, basically, certainly, the point is about the belt of truth is this. No one can become a Christian unless, firstly, they are persuaded of the truth of the gospel. That it really is true. That there really is a God. That Jesus really existed. That Jesus really died for sinners. That Jesus really rose from the dead. If you're not convinced of that, you're not really, you're not really a believer. What does Luke say when he's talking to Theophilus, who's a sincere seeker after God? He says to Theophilus at the beginning of the gospel, and he says, well, I've written this for you, Theophilus, because I want you to be assured of the facts, to be certain of the facts. I've carefully investigated the facts, the truth, and I've written this so that you may be, you know, you know realize the truth of it. John had a similar thing to say at the end of his Gospels. I've written these things that you may know, that you may believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. And so not only is it true that uh, the, the truth is fundamental for Christian living, which we'll look at next week, but it's also fundamental if you're thinking about, well, I really would like to be a Christian. You see, being brainwashed is a very bad way to become a believer. I dare say there are many believers that have, 
you know, come to, come to Christ without really thinking about uh, um, deeper issues of truth. Um, but as I've said, the Bible doesn't present itself in, in, to, to people just to, just to accept without thinking. It asks people to ponder, think about these truths. When people just uh, are forced into becoming believers, perhaps they go to a church and they're very young and they kind of get swept along by an emotion and they, beca- they get baptized when they're very young. And then they find as they grow older, oh, it doesn't really make any sense. I don't really believe it's true. And they give up just like that. Because no matter how young you are, it is, it is possible, even as a young person, to understand clearly this is really true. Not just be in control of the emotions, just that when you feel you're in church, oh, yes, I believe it then, but then I go outside and it's not really true. Even a young person, even a, even a, a child of 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, can, be, can know that this gospel truth is really true. Not just when I'm feeling good, but when I'm feeling bad, when I'm feeling depressed, when I'm feeling down, when I'm feeling alone. That is the time when the gospel uh, comes into its own. So, uh, if there's anybody listening online or is in church today that's inquiring about becoming a Christian, we're not trying to tell you, just trust because it feels good. Don't just trust in Jesus because you feel good. No, you trust in Jesus because he really is the Son of God. He really is the Savior of the world. He really can deal with sin in our lives. Don't believe the fairy tales of atheists who tell their children, scientists have shown that God doesn't exist. I mean, atheists are big fairy tale tellers. You know, anybody as an atheist online that's listening to me, you'll be outraged when I say that, but it's true. It's a fairy tale that says that science has disproved Christianity, and the fairy tale can be shown quite easily. Because you just have to examine the list of all of the Nobel Prize winners. I've, I've written this up in a, in a pamphlet. Anybody can read it. All the Nobel Prize winners this cent- in this last century, in this century, that have definitely believed in God. And most of, the, most of the great scientists of the past 150 years have believed in God. And yet the atheists tell their children this fairy tale science has disproved a belief in God. Nonsense, isn't it? Same goes with um, these fairy tales that some people in the church tell people. Can't trust the Bible. It's full of mistakes. Uh, Archaeology has disproved the Bible. Well, actually, when you look into the Bible, don't just listen to the fairy tales and investigate it. You find out that, indeed, archaeology has substantiated the Bible hundreds and hundreds of times to be true. No. You can be assured, if you are thinking about becoming a Christian, that the Bible has convincing proofs demonstrating who Jesus is, how he has saved us. And uh, so I would like to you know, just say to begin with, it is really important, it's a fundamental uh, not to be ignorant of Jesus himself. Download. Uh, the New Testament, or even the whole Bible, onto your phone. They're free. The English Standard Version, the one we use, free. Download it onto your phone. Start reading the teaching of Jesus. Because it's very important. You see, there are unpleasant truths about time. You see, we live in time, don't we? I'm 71. Can't believe it. How many years have I got left? Well, actually, the Bible tells me my time's up. <laughs> Three score years and ten for most people. And if you're, if you're strong, 80 or so. That might mean 
in your 80s, I think, possibly, not just that you, you, you reach 80 and, and peg out if you're very strong, but the average ran about seven, in the 70s. Now, the thing is this, how little time is left. I'm not talking about for me, I'm talking about for you. One, uh, one guy worked out that if you thought of the whole life of someone who, who lived to the age of 70 as being like a whole day, and so if, if, you, if you said, well, yeah, a baby when he's born is like at 7 in the morning. Well, by the age of 15, it's 11.25 in his life. At the age of 30, it's like 2.51. At the age of 45, it's like quarter past six in the evening of your life. Uh, When you reach 55, the time is 8.34. By the time you're 65, it's 10.51. And uh, at 12 o'clock, it's 70. Well, if you only live to 70, then your life is over. How time goes by. Time goes by so quickly. All of us know this. Whether you're 71 like me, or whether you're 50, or whether you're 30. Time seems to go quicker and quicker as we grow older. It's an unpleasant truth, but it's a truth that is meant to you know, wake us up. And if, you're, if you aren't uh, yet a believer, then think about how time is going by so quickly. And what's going to happen when time runs out? What happens if you walk out in front of a bus and it's killed? Where are you going? You know, there's unpleasant truths, not just about time, but there's unpleasant truths about our past. Now, here's an amusing statistic. Uh, basically... Uh, the average man removes about one sixty-fourth of an inch of a beard every day. Um, so that means, if that's if that's so, I think I, I think I, I have much more than that actually. But <laughs> the basic thing is this: that if you live to the age of 65, and from the age of 20 you're shaving, you, 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 you've removed 23 feet of beard. <laughs> now, some of you may look at Henry and think, well, he's got a beard, but, he, you know, well, obviously Henry trims his beard. Anybody with a beard tends to trim their beard unless you become like people in the, the rock band ZZ Top that have a beard right reaching the floor. But very few people have a 23 feet beard because... They trim it. They don't. They, you know, you, you trip over your beard, <laughs> bloke. If you actually grew it that long. Now the thing is, this shaving off the beard every day is like getting rid of that beard. But we can't shave off our past life. We forget about it. We try to forget our past. We try to forget our past sins. We try to forget the ways in which we've uh, disobeyed God, turned away from Him, and and rebelled against Him. We and. You know, because otherwise we, we might get depressed. But it's there, it exists. God sees our past. People, you know, people flatter themselves, it says in Psalm 36, verse 2. They flatter themselves in their own eyes that their iniquity cannot be found out and hated. And, you know, we try to say, oh no, we're, we're, we're fine, we're fine. 
we're, we're okay. We're decent people. We're basically good people. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love my friends. I'm basically a nice person. The Bible tells us this, that our true nature is one which is pretty horrible. Like, you know, driftwood. I don't know if you've ever seen driftwood. Really old. Or sometimes a very old pier, a hundred-year-old pier that's been crashed day after day by thousands of waves over, over a century. And what's happened is, is all the softwood on top is eroded and beaten away, and it, what's left is just the hardness beneath it. And then you see the real hard wood, hardcore wood that's beneath it. Now, we have on the surface our education, our training, the way we respond to people, and we are, most of us, are civilized and we're educated, we're nice and we're friendly and all this. But beneath it, the Bible says, the heart is hardened and is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Now, we don't like this. We don't like this description, but the Bible says it it is quite clear. Jeremiah 8, verse 7, God says this. Even the stork, a bird, knows the times when they're going to migrate. Even the swallow and, and the crane and all the birds of the world know when it's time to migrate. It's, you know, we're living in a cold climate and it's time now to move down to Africa. In Sicily, where I regularly go, you can often see migrating words coming from colder Europe moving down into Africa. The times, uh, the, 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 the times of, the, of these changes are responded to by the birds who instinctively know it's time to move, time to change. But do we respond to the times? Hosea says it's time to seek the Lord, but we're too hard-hearted. We're not changing. Even the stork in heavens knows her times, but my people know not the rules of the Lord. How can you say we're wise and the law of the Lord is with us? But behold, the lying pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. And what that means is this, is that we will take any excuse written by any influencer, any philosopher, any politician, any religious person who tries to convince us that we're fine, that there is no hell, that everything's okay, that we're decent people, that God will overlook our sins without anything, anything else happening. When actually, no, it's not, that isn't the case. God, turn, God calls us to turn to him. And not just turn to our own way. You see, the thing is this. The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And also tells us that the end result of our living without God is spiritual death in this life. And spiritual death forever in hell, which is the place of darkness where men and women shall weep and be in misery forever. That is the reality. These are the uncomfortable truths, the fundamentals to the way we should actually order our lives. We should work out the design for our lives. The Lord wants us to seek him, not to turn away from him. And uh, the thing is this, is that the Bible tells us these unpleasant truths about ourselves. We're basically basically very, very selfish. In in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount... He talks about these laws that we have, don't commit adultery, and he says, well, actually, it's not just the physical act of adultery, it's lust within the heart that is also a sin in God's sight. It's not just murdering people, it's anger. And when he was doing this, he wasn't just talking about 
these, uh, these tendencies and, uh, as things that occasionally happen in our lives. Jesus was actually exposing what our continual thought life is about. It is based upon selfishness, self-regard, doing what we want rather than doing what God wants us to do. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's a pretty horrible and uncomfortable truth to deal with. But actually, until we actually are prepared to understand this is what God says about us and, and accept the diagnosis, we've got no basis for our lives. But here is the, the third thing which I want to talk about, which is the wonderful truths that come through Jesus Christ. And these are, you know, so in facing life, like the Roman soldier who got up in the morning and first he put on his belt before he put on the rest of his armor, we need, firstly, when coming to Christ, firstly to say, yes, well, it, it's true. It, it's completely true. Christianity is true. But secondly, it's also true that I am a failure, a sinner. I'm lost. The third thing is this wonderful truth that Jesus brought salvation into this world and that means a rescue for those of us who are at the bottom of that pit and are aware that we're failures there's a there's a mountain now in the atlantic ocean on island um on tenerife um it's a it's a 12,000 feet high mountain and it produces a shadow for 150 miles <laughs> You know, 150 mile shadow. It's the longest shadow cast in the world. What an effect for a mountain. A shadow, 150 miles long. Jesus Christ was much more than a shadow. And he has brought a reality that casts his brilliance upon the whole world and upon our lives in order to save us. In order to save us. Now, I've I've explained that we are are in a, a... a, a terrible state before a holy God because of that inner hardness, that inner intractable selfishness, that inner state of, of, that we can't change of basically being rebellious and disobedient children of God. But Jesus came into this world to actually change the intractable and he did it by dying for us. Now, um, many, many years ago, Forty years ago, I stayed in a rented house, uh, and uh, there was a book on the bookshelf. Oh, well, that's interesting, you know. It wasn't a religious book; it was a regimental history. Oh, very interesting. It was quite. It was about 150 years old. This book, you know, quite an antique. Opened it up, and I started reading through things, and I came across this remarkable story, which I haven't seen anywhere else. I've used it on many occasions in sermons, but it illustrates the amazing effect of what Jesus actually has done for us. The man was called Sergeant O'Leary. He was, a, he was Irish, but he was a member of the British Army during the American War of Independence, the Ameri- during the American Revolution. And uh, he was tasked with taking a top-secret message to another uh, unit of, uh, another general in a, another unit of the British Army, you know, 20, 30 miles away from where he was. And he was told, whatever you do, don't let this fall into enemy hands. And it was written on, uh, on parchment, which was rolled up, you know, thick paper, which, was, which was, uh, uh, wasn't actually rolled up at the time, but it was on parchment, very thick paper. So he, he basically, you know, uh, went with uh, half a dozen of his, uh, of his men, he was a sergeant, uh, on this journey. 
20, 30 miles through enemy territory. It was an ambush. One by one, all of his companions were picked off until he was the only one left alive. And they were all chasing after him with their muskets and whatever. And uh, he received a really, uh, a really terrible wound in his side. And uh, he was able on his horse to escape and get, get uh, far enough away from them to lose them. But he was losing blood because there was a big hole in his side and he fell off his horse. Uh, and he still had in his hand this top secret message. Which, uh, if it fell into any hand, many enemy hands, would mean that his friends were going to die. His, his fellow soldiers would die uh, with, with an attack upon them if they found out these, uh, the, the dispositions of the troops. And uh, he was... He, he, he was basically, uh, you know, lost blood. Was, but he took out this parchment, which was very thick paper, and he, and he rolled it up. And because, uh, you know, he didn't want anybody to discover what was written on it, he then put it into the wound in his side and pressed it and pressed it until the parchment disappeared into his side. And uh, he was eventually uh, found and... Um, Taken, in, taken to the hospital, the Americans took him into a hospital, and the surgeon, the, he died uh, on the way, and the surgeon said that he died because of the message that had been pressed into his side. That was in a regimental history. True story. The Bible tells us that Jesus took our unique sins and pressed them into his side. On the cross, he knew the sins of the world. This was not just a man with a finer understanding. This was the Son of God with an infinite understanding of all people. And he pressed into himself. He took upon himself the sins of the world. And by that, this wasn't just a formless mass of people. But Jesus, the Son of God, knew you. Knew your unique sins. Knew my unique sinful nature. And the sins I have done and had done. And he died. Why? Because he loved his friends. He loves sinners. He loves you. And Jesus, we're told, who knew no sin, became sin on our behalf, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And what the gospel tells us is this, is that, Though we are hard-hearted sinners and we have a past, we have this great long past that God sees, yet in Christ we become the righteousness of God. We have his unique goodness, righteousness, love, grace, kindness, his wonderful deeds of righteousness, his wonderful, marvelous personality from eternity has been granted to become our property. So on, on judgment day, We stand before God knowing we're clothed in his righteousness. Now, how wonderful that is. (laughs) I mean, there are unpleasant truths in the gospel. But far by far more wonderful is the wonderful truths that those unpleasant truths are negated by the wonderful love of Christ. Now, you see, the thing is, we have to respond to God's wonderful love. Um... In Psalm 103, verse 12, it says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west. Well, actually, how far is the east from the west? The answer is infinitely far. 
If you ask how far north is from the south, you, uh, in, you, you, know, you can work out. North Pole, South Pole, it's a certain distance of so many thousands of miles. But east and west, there is no, there is no way of, uh, of computing the east from the west. It is ab- you know, and that is what wonderful thing that God has done with you and your past sins. As far as, uh, as anything, infinitely, your past has been removed in Christ, if you trust him. Now, here is the point. You must trust him. And trusting Jesus Christ involves a change of life, a complete change of life. But you need to trust him. Um, in the late 80s, uh, there was a very uh, sad story of a um, team of skydivers took off and they, they took with them an experienced photographer and he was an experienced parachutist who um, was basically took, taking pictures as they were in the air on the way down. And one by one, each skydiver did his parachute and, you know, that you could see uh, on, the, uh, on the film of the camera, uh, each one kind of their parachute opening and then the cameraman keeps going down and then suddenly the the newsreel the, the, the video of it becomes all blurred and they're screaming and shouting and everything's going upside down what happened was that the cameraman had uh, had forgotten the necessary uh, stuff on his parachute uh, and he crashed to the ground without a parachute now you know that is what's going to be happening on the day of judgment. If people are so close to becoming a Christian, they understand that Jesus Christ died for sinners, they understand that Jesus loved them, but they don't receive him. And they will crash and burn in hell. We need to put on the belt of truth, this wonderful truth, that Jesus died for me. We need to come to him and receive him, and we must accept him as our Lord and follow him. You see, uh, when Paul is talking to, uh, to the Ephesians, he is primarily talking to believers. But this is true for someone who is about to become a Christian. What you need to understand is that becoming a Christian is not just having your sins forgiven. It is living with Jesus for the rest of your life. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my, for my yoke is easy. And what Jesus there is expressing this fact that animals often, when they're uh, involved in an arduous, difficult task, they yoke two animals together. They, they put them together with a harness. So they're both pulling together to do the work. Jesus said that, come to me, if you're weary and heavy laden, yes, and, and, and your sins will be forgiven. But also, you'll be joined with me. You'll be harnessed to me. I will be your parachute, if you like, through life. I will be with you, and you will be with me. And you will love me, and you'll learn to obey me. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the belt of truth. And uh, as the truth is in Jesus... So live for him. That was what that passage in Ephesians I read earlier is about. The truth in Jesus is that you're to put off your old corrupt life. You go out drinking, get drunk, well, don't have anything to do with that anymore. I'm not saying abandon your friends, just tell them about Christ. But don't go out drinking, getting drunk, or taking drugs. 
If you've been lying, stop lying. If you've been involved with prostitutes, stop, stop it. Put off that old manner of life and put on Christ. Live in fellowship with him. Pray every day. Read the Bible. Have these other parts of the spiritual armor that we'll be talking about in other weeks in, on Sunday evenings uh, in living the Christian life. Because this matters. Just the same way as if a, a Roman soldier by any chance uh, forgot to wear a belt, it would also mean he would have, forgot, would have forgotten his sword. There was no place to put his sword. He wouldn't be able to, he wouldn't be able to, to, uh, to manage his armor. He wouldn't be able to manage it in the fight without his trusty belt. And uh, let's all of us as believers uh, learn from this the importance of day by day. Um, living out the Christian life in sincerity and in truth. And in fact, uh, on Sunday evening next week, I'll be talking about the importance of the sincerity and truth in the Christian life, of being real um, in being a Christian. So let's just close with a word of prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we do thank you that you have made a way for us to be rescued. Lord, we came into this world, Lord, uh, and Lord, we all wandered through life, Lord, uh, until you broke into our life. We were wandering around, Lord, following our own desires like lost sheep. Thank you, Lord, for rescuing us. And thank you, that, Lord, uh, we may live our lives now with you as our Savior and as our Lord, as our partner in life. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you'll give faith, Lord, to those online or someone in the church, Lord, who, who wants to follow Jesus, to to uh, accept him and receive him as Lord uh, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.